Hi, I'm Jonathan Edwards, and I want to welcome you to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My goal in this podcast is to teach the truth of the Word of God and apply it to our lives that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed. I have to say that I do still find it amazing that we have to spend an entire episode and and one episode, you know, 30, 35 minutes, we could have spent a lot longer than that going over God's definition of marriage. It still boggles my mind and yet we shouldn't be surprised because how did how did Satan approach Eve in the garden? What tactic did he use? He said this, did God really say? Did God really say? And so today, what we're being confronted with is not, did God really say that this is the only tree you can't eat from? Did God really say that? Today, what we're being confronted with is, did God really say marriage is only between a male and a female? One man and one woman for life. Did God really say that? And we have to answer according to biblical truth. And the answer is a resounding, yes, God did say that. And there's a reason God established marriage between a male and a female. And there's a reason that God wanted one man and one woman to be together for their entire lives. And that reason is this. God designed them, male and female, to complement one another. God designed them to complement one another. And so, because God's original intention was that the woman would be a suitable helper for the male, a helper suitable to him to fill in the weaknesses that he had, and the male would also fill in the weaknesses that he had. Each person, each gender is bringing some strong points and some weaknesses to the relationship. And together, if man and woman are humble, if they are seeking Christ, if they are attempting to be as biblical as possible, I should say this, striving to be as biblical as possible, they'll recognize their own weaknesses and limitations, and they will allow their spouse their spouse, to complement them in a way that results in the, the whole, okay, the whole relationship being greater than the sum of the individual parts. So God had a design in mind, and it was a complementary design, and it was intended to bless mankind, all of mankind. But what happened? What happened to God's complementary design? Well, sin happened. It didn't take too long before, as I already mentioned, the serpent came to Eve and convinced her, really deceit, tricked her into eating the fruit. And, the, and Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that she was truly deceived. She was tricked into eating the fruit. Her husband Adam, however, was not deceived. He willingly ate the fruit. And because he willingly ate the fruit, his decision at that very moment to choose his wife and what was pleasing to her and what he saw as a weakness in her, his decision to choose her 
over following God and obeying God resulted in the curse of sin being cast over all of creation, and everyone today, every person born today, every animal born today, every insect, every fish, every tree, every aspect of creation is feeling the effects of the curse of sin. In fact, Paul writes in Galatians or Romans chapter 8 that all creation groans under the weight of the curse of sin. And as a result of sin, God had to extend discipline upon the man and the woman. And so here's what he says. In Genesis chapter 3, when God confronts Adam and Eve about their sin, he gives them what the effect of the curse of sin will be for them in general. This is the general effect. Genesis 3.16, to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children, yet your husband, yet your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. In pain, you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. The curse for Eve was that labor pains would greatly increase. Now, I, my wife has four children, and I've been there for all four of those births, and it was not a pleasant experience from her perspective. What happened immediately after the birth, there was great joy, great uh, love that came between her and the child. But man, a few minutes before that, she was not a happy camper while that baby was in there getting ready to come out the birth canal. It's painful. And women are also cursed with a desire to subvert God's original authority structure. Now think about that. Women have been cursed with a desire to subvert, to pervert, to take over God's original authority structure. Now let me back up, give you a a zoomed out perspective, and then I'm going to hone in on this point in particular. If you read the Bible, just from Genesis to Revelation, you will find that within the text of Scripture, God has established very clearly different authorities that everyone is responsible to. So children are responsible to the authority of their parents. Adults in a society are responsible to the authority of the governing forces that are over them. In the same way, slaves in the Bible are responsible to the authority of their masters. All people in the Bible are responsible to the authority of God as the Almighty Creator. And likewise, wives are responsible to the authority of their husbands, to the leadership of their husbands. And what God is saying here is that Eve's part of the curse, part of the result of the curse for Eve, is that she will want to subvert 
and discard her natural desire to submit to the authority that God placed over her. Her desire is to subvert that, to not follow it. That's the curse of sin inside her heart. That's what she's born with intrinsically. Now, the text goes on to say, he will rule over you. Why does it say that? Is it acknowledging that, yes, Adam actually has the authority? No, it's talking about his physical domination over the female because he is stronger in general than she is. And if you, all you have to do is take a casual survey of history to see that men in practically every culture in the entire history of the world have dominated females and have treated females as if they are second-class citizens. So the woman's desire is to rule over her husband, but he, because of his strength and his power and his forcefulness, will end up ruling over her. And that's not a gentle rule. That is a domineering rule. Now, men, men have been cursed by this, by sin to work and toil from the ground. And they will have to eat of that all the days of their lives. And so as men, we would expect that our days do not go as planned, that circumstances get out of control, that we cannot accomplish those things that we want to accomplish because of the curse and the power of sin, the curse and the effect of sin. Um, this, is, this is Adam's part of the curse. Adam, as a result of the curse, also has a mind under the curse of sin, and he, too, is perverting God's original design. Instead of viewing Eve as a helpmate, Adam now views Eve as somebody who is in competition with him. And that's how men look at things. Men look at things as, you know, this person, this woman, wants to rule my life, but I am not going to let her rule my life. I'm going to do something totally different. I'm not going to allow her to do that. And he's going to force his way so that he gets his way instead of allowing her to get her way. And so there's this conflict, this tension in male-female relationships because of the curse. And let's admit, this is a perversion of God's original design. It's a perversion of it. Now, if you were to just look at the last, I don't know, 40 years, 50 years of American history, you would see that there is a great, there has been and continues to be to some degree, a great movement to acknowledge that the sexes are equal, that male and female are equal, and not only that they are equal, but that they are interchangeable. That anything a man can do, a woman can do, and anything a woman can do, a man can do. Now, I'm not even going to get into the last five years of insanity where the radical left, that's what it is, it is an ideological movement, it is known as the radical left, has asserted that men, biological men, can do things like have periods and have babies, and women who are biological women can do things that men ought to do. I'm not even going to touch that because that is so abhorrent. It denies science. It denies reason. It denies reality. 
it is a total social construct. And, you know, you, the people on the radical left accuse conservative Christians of creating social constructs. Yeah, well, at least the constructs that we create are founded in some kind of objective truth. It doesn't mean we we always perform them correctly. I think we're working hard to live in accordance with objective, absolute truth. But when you have social constructs like those that have been promoted by the radical left over the last five years about transgenderism and all of this other stuff, I mean, that is that is a absolute 100% total social construct that is contrary to everything that God has designed, contrary to everything that most even non-Christians would tolerate as acceptable, contrary to science. So don't tell me that, you know, well, we believe in science and Christians are science deniers. No, if you believe in the radical LGBTQ plus agenda, you are the science denier. All right, you, you deny science. You deny what is objectively true. All right, that's off my soapbox. I'm done with that. Let's go back to a more subtle perversion. I think one that probably has infiltrated many Christian organizations, many churches. Uh, when I say Christian organizations, I probably should say like denominations, um, many churches, uh, maybe even some people in my own church think this way. I don't know, you know, but here's the, here's the real issue. Over the last hundred years, the feminist movement, all right, has sought to elevate women in function to be equal to men. Let me say that again. They have sought to elevate women in function to be equal to men. And we call this egalitarianism. And here's their basic argument, that men and women are created equally in the image of God, right? Genesis 1, 26 through 28, men and women are created equally in the image of God. And because they are made equal in the image of God, they are able to fulfill and to perform the exact same roles. That's egalitarianism. And let me tell you how this plays out in the church. This plays out in the church when churches say, Yes, women can be pastors and teach men. They can fulfill that same role. Some women are extremely gifted. Some women are extremely smart and intelligent and able to understand God's word. And that's that's true. I'm not taking that away. You can't deny that some women are extraordinarily intelligent and extraordinarily good at understanding the Bible. The egalitarian would say, because they are good and better than men in this area— they should have the authority to teach men. They should be able to be the ones who are instructing men. And that's not what the Bible says. That's a satanic worldview. The egalitarian perspective is a satanic worldview that has come into the church, and it is perverting God's original design. Now, notice I didn't say that these women can't do anything. They can do some things, but they can't teach in the role of a lead pastor or a senior pastor. They're not to do that. But that's what egalitarians believe. That's probably the easiest definition or the easiest example that I could give to you of how an egalitarian would look at roles and functions within the church. 
within marriage, egalitarians say this, that men and women have to submit to one another equally, that sometimes women should make the final decision and sometimes men should make the final decisions. And there are times where uh, the wife should make the final decision. Even if her husband disagrees with it, she should make that final decision because everything has to be equal. And so in their marriages, what they would say is this, uh, we're going to figure out some type of system whereby we each get to make important decisions and you have to submit to my decision and then there are times where I will submit to your decision. That would be how egalitarianism works out in marriage. That is not God's original design. That is a perversion of God's design. What is God's original design? We call it complementarianism. That men and women were created equally in the image of God. Does sound good so far? Yeah, sounds just like the egalitarian position. Men and women are created equally in the image of God. Here's the difference, the second half of the sentence. But designed to fulfill different functions and roles. So men and women have an equal standing. They are intrinsically equal before God. But are they have a different role and function to fulfill within their relationship. So men do some things and women do other things. One of the things that men do is practice leadership. One of the things that women do is practice submission to leadership. Now we're going to talk about that uh, in, a, in a much greater detail. So hold on if you're like, well, wait a second, hold on. What if my husband asked me to do blah, blah, blah? Okay, hold on a second. We're going to talk about that. What is biblical leadership? What is biblical submission? Those are important concepts to define and then provide application for. But know this, God's complementary design is for men to fulfill certain roles and functions within the marriage relationship, for men to fulfill certain roles and functions within the church, for men to fulfill certain roles and functions within society. God's design for women is to be equal to men, but fulfill roles and functions within the home, the church, and society that are different than men's roles. Now, you may disagree with that. I'm just the messenger. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. When you read the Bible collectively, that's what the Word of God says. And you may say, well, Christianity... uh, promotes the patriarchy, and oppresses women. Okay, if you have that perspective, you have not read Paul's letters. There was no one in ancient history who promoted women and women's rights and women's equality more than the Apostle Paul. The Romans looked at women as if they were second-class citizens, that they could be divorced for any reason, that they could be traded for any reason, that there was they could they could use women in any way that they wanted to because they had all authority, absolute rule. Women were second-class citizens. Paul, if you're honest when you read the text of Scripture, elevated women and women's rights to be equal with men so that a, a, a husband could not just divorce his wife for any reason that he wanted to, and a woman couldn't just divorce her husband for any reason that she wanted to. A husband was not to be domineering and to unjustly rule over his wife. He was to what? 
love her as Christ loved the church. I'll tell you something that was absent among Roman writings. Any notion that men should love women. Men should use women, according to Romans. Not Romans in the Bible. The Roman culture, the Roman, uh, the Greek and Roman culture that Paul was writing against, they believed that women could be used for any reason that you wanted. That they weren't to be loved. They were just there to basically fulfill men's sexual desires. Bear children. Produce me an heir. Anybody who's watched old movie like movies uh, about like the medieval times or England or you know any monarchy or whatever, uh, any any of that stuff, you're always wanting the male ruler is always wanting the woman to produce the male offspring. Produce me an heir. I need an heir. Your job is to do this for me. And if she couldn't deliver, what did he do? Got rid of her. Got somebody else. The Apostle Paul was adamantly, adamantly against that way of thinking. And Paul elevated women to be equal with men, but also explained how they were functionally different than men. So anybody who's telling you that the Bible promotes the patriarchy is not honest with the text of Scripture. They are approaching the text of Scripture with a personal bias and an agenda to discredit Christianity. Okay, let me step off the soapbox again. I'm not sure why I'm so fired up this morning, but man, I'm fired up. (laughs) All right, let's take a step back. Take a look at the bigger picture. Why does it matter whether we believe in a complementarian model or an egalitarian model? Why is this important to you in your marriage? Well, first, the way that you answer this question will determine much about your marriage relationship and your family structure and your function and your view of Scripture. You see, I just mentioned that people approach Scripture with their own biases. If your bias is that men and women are equal and can fulfill the exact same functions and roles, if that's your personal bias, then when you start to read Scripture and interpret Scripture, you're going to allow that bias to color the passages that you read. Now, I understand it's hard to get past your personal biases when you're looking at the scriptures. There are things that I'm confronted with in my own personal study of the scriptures when I study for a Sunday school class or a sermon or I'm doing my own personal study, and I have to stop and ask myself, is it my bias that's leading me to believe this, or is this genuinely what the text says? And that's where you have to stop and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help you help you know what the truth is so that you're saying the truth and not just what you think the truth is or what you want the truth to be. So first of all, it matters because the bias that you have, whether it's leaning towards complementarianism or leaning towards egalitarianism, will affect a great many things about your relationship and your understanding of Scripture. Your home might be a wreck right now because you have an egalitarian view of life. And if you're a believer and you have an egalitarian perspective on issues of the home, issues of interpretation of Scripture, etc., etc., 
that can really upset the balance in your home. That can really cause a lot of problems. You may not even be aware of some of the problems that are being caused. They may just be like underlying frustrations and you're like, why do we keep banging our heads over this issue over and over and over again? Well, it may be that egalitarian perspective coming to fruition in your life. It may be manifesting itself in rather subtle and innocuous ways within your home, but ways which produce great frustration on a regular basis. So complementarianism, I'm not saying that it will solve all your marriage issues, but complementarianism is the model that we ought to be striving towards in our marriage. And if in our marriage we are egalitarian, if we think that we can fulfill all the roles and functions equally, and that it's okay for us to do that. What's going to happen is that idea will not stay in your home. It will come into the local church. It will go into the business or the work environment where you work. It will not just stay with you. All right. Your children will observe it and they will take that sin sinful perspective, let's call it what it is, they will take that and they will take it into their own relationships in the future. So if you find that egalitarianism is a sin, a concept that you really struggle with, that that, that is uh, something that you need to overcome in your life, then I, I would encourage you, you need to really work hard at that. Unprogram your thinking and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you might have to just start making a list of everything that you do in your life and say, boy, am I being submissive? Am I I doing this because I think that it's my right to do this? Or has my husband allowed me to do this? You know, we're going to talk about what types of things headship and submission do. We're going to talk about that. But for right now, if you're convicted that you might have an egalitarian perspective on life, go to the Word of God and say, what are the roles that I should be fulfilling as a wife? If you're a husband, go to the Word of God. What are the roles that I should be fulfilling? I think husbands in general like egalitarianism because it absolves them of responsibility. And men, we like to take the path of least resistance, and we can't do that. God has called us to be leaders. I know, I know a lot of men are passive in their personality. I don't know if that's a result of our culture that has just bashed men over the head, bashed and bashed and bashed and tried to make men into women. That's what our culture does. I don't know if that's why men are passive or if that is part of their curse, like that is intrinsically part of the curse that they uh, face is that passiveness of not taking leadership, not taking responsibility. But men, if you are egalitarian, if you think that egalitarianism is okay, what you often will do is say, okay, honey, you, you just make all the decisions. I'm, I'm going to go work on my project in the garage. I'm going to go watch my sports show. I'm going to go, uh, you know, hang out with my buddies and do whatever we do fish or whatever. Men, if you are egalitarian, you are not going to be the leader that God wants you to be. And you're, you're going to be frustrated because when you actually have something that you care about and you try to practice leadership, your wife is going to be like, no, I'm the leader. I've made the decisions. 
How come you think you can all of a sudden swoop in here and take over the leadership of this? See, people get into habits. The flesh, our body of sin, because our body is still under the curse of sin. Our body is still under the curse of sin. Even though we've been made new creatures in the inner man, our body is still under the curse of sin. And even as believers, we can become habituated to sin. Sin can become a habit for us in our lives. And when sin becomes a habit for us in our lives, it's hard to break those habits. It's hard to get out of those habits. We cultivate sinful responses over and over and over again. And after many years of that, when you realize, oh, wow, this is really a sin, it's very challenging to undo those sinful habits. It's possible. It's very possible. In fact, the word of God in Romans chapter 6, Paul says, do not go on presenting your members to sin. So just stop. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Stop right now. You can do it. It's challenging, but you can do it. So I would say this. Not only is our culture primarily egalitarian. I would say our culture is beyond egalitarian to where men are now second-class citizens. Men are third-class citizens. In our culture, the if you're uh, an LGBTQ plus person, you're probably of the highest value. If you're a woman, you're the next highest value. If you're a man, you're third. And if you're a white man, you're fourth. So we have a great deal of work to do, fellow believers, to undo the training that we are receiving and the information that we are receiving every day from our culture. And we receive it through media. We receive it uh, in the workplace. We receive it in the education system. I, I don't care if your kids are homeschooled or not homeschooled. They are picking up on what the culture is laying down. And the culture is setting forth the notion that women are not only equal to men, but oftentimes better than men, and men need to be more like women. That is absolutely contrary to God's original intention and design. Men and women are equal, and they fulfill different roles. This is God's complementary design. And next week, we'll look at part two of how we are to fulfill and perform God's complementary design. Thanks for your time and attention today. I greatly appreciate it. Thanks for spending some time listening to this podcast. It's encouraging to me that I see uh, many people listening and benefiting from it. Again, if you have a question or a comment, please feel free to email me at uh, gracebrethrenchapel at gmail.com. I'd be happy to respond to your email or address the question on air. Thank you so much, and God bless you. May you be transformed by the renewing of your mind.